שלום ליהודים, שלום לבני נוער, שלום לגויים. It's the evening of the fourth day, ערב י"ב, פרשס אמור, תשפ"ג, 5783, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, May 2, not 2023. You're listening to Phantom Nation, the third in the latest series of six podcasts sponsored by Floridians for Israel Institute at gmail.com on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the most serious threat to the 1.8 billion Muslims on the planet. The Arab countries alone, all 21 of them officially Muslims, spread over a land mass 40% larger than the United States of America, but every time the 56 officially Muslim states, controlling far more dry land than that, every time they convene in the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, it's common to hear that the greatest problem facing the Ummah, the global congregation of believers in the one true faith, are the 7 million Jews living on a strip of land averaging 50 miles across that the Muslims see as an imperial conquest, a colony of the Judeo-Christians committing genocide, which in material existence is a lie, but not so in the minds of Muslims. Uh, Israel's evil is denying Palestinian history, committing genocide on the history of the Palestinians, in what the Arab Muslims here used to call southern Syria. The headman of the Muslims here for a biblical generation of 40 years was Hajimin al-Husseini, the grand, grand mufti in Jerusalem who opposed the Zionist movement because he insisted that the jurisdiction the League of Nations created called Palestine was a violation of Islamic history. In January 1919, post-World War I, the peace conference got underway in Paris, which observers expected to create a jurisdiction called Palestine, described as the national home of the Jewish people from the Balfour Declaration. And by October of that year, Hajimin in Jerusalem started publishing a newspaper called Southern Syria, whose editorial line was, there's no such country as Palestine, it's all Southern Syria. And Hajimin was absolutely right. The Muslims ruled for 12 of the preceding 14 centuries here and never called the country Palestine. In my book, uh, you can see a Turkish map under the Ottomans, who ruled here for four centuries, which shows no jurisdiction labeled Palestine. Only marked with boundaries uh, and labeled are provinces. That's a vilayet and a sandrak, an administrative district. Now, on uh, Israel's Independence Day, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen from Germany, saluted Israel for its achievements issuing a statement saying, quote, Today we celebrate 75 years of vibrant democracy in the heart of the Middle East. 75 years of dynamism, ingenuity, and groundbreaking innovation. You have literally made the desert bloom, close quote, which expression I think first emerged in the 1930s as foreign journalists witnessed the, the decades of development already. But in reaction to these words, Delusional Muslims condemned her. Quote, The Palestinian Foreign Affairs Ministry rejects the inappropriate, false, and discriminatory remarks of the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, particularly for speaking the made-the-desert-bloom trope, which is anti-Palestinian racism. Such propagandistic discourse dehumanizes and erases the Palestinian people and falsifies their rich history and civilization. Such a narrative perpetuates the continued and racist denial of the Nakba, 
of Israel's creation and whitewashes Israel's illegal occupation and apartheid regime. Adopting such anti-Palestinian rhetoric undermines the European Union's standing and casts serious doubts on its declared commitment to international law and human rights. Thus spake Yossi Balin's moderate peace-loving Palestinian authority, a spokesman for um, Fatah's mortal enemy Hamas, one Sami Abu Zikri said von der Leyen's message on the anniversary of Israel's founding on the ruins of our occupied Palestinian land represents the height of hypocrisy in favor of the occupation, close quote. It's common among Muslims never to speak the name of Israel. Israel is routinely called the occupation. Abu Zori said uh, her statement, quote, expresses the denial of the rights of our Palestinian people and the ignoring of their historical presence in the homeland. He also said, calling democracy, calling Israel a democracy, provokes the Palestinians. His soulmate, uh, a.k.a. fellow anti-Semitic murderer, Mr. Bassam Naim, head of the Political and External Affairs Department of Hamas, said her statement reflects her ignorance of history. He said the Palestinian people are still paying the price for the sins committed by Western countries who persecuted and tortured the Jews. They were the European countries versus the Jews who found a safe place in Arab and Islamic countries. He said uh, von der Leyen repeated the lies promoted by the leader of the Zionist enterprise. Palestine was never a desert that blossomed during the era of Israeli barbarism. Thousands of years ago, Palestine was the cradle of civilizations, the meeting point of coexistence, and the path of science and progress, close quote. Likewise, the head of the Arab League of States piped up. He also condemned von der Leyen's words as, quote, offensive to the Palestinians and their historic suffering, close quote. Well, I see in all these statements the reason why the Oslo peace fantasy of the Israeli and Jewish left was such a failure for never judging the enemy with whom they shook hands 30 years ago this coming September 13, uh, Rabin and Perez, for who the enemy really is. Rabin and Perez, two of the least educated national leaders in the 20th century, no higher education to speak of, they thought that Arafat and Abbas represented the Palestinian nation with the same aspiration as the Zionists had. The young men in 1948, these two, who fought for a tiny state for their people, they believed so Arafat and Abbas fought for the benefit and welfare of their fellow Palestinians, pining for a state just like the Zionists. Those two did not understand that the Arabs are as backward as they are. What you just heard are men functionally delusional, History for them is whatever you want it to be. You want something in the present, you invent a fictional history to justify wanting what you want in the present, even to the point of justifying your right to kill those who stand in your way. Rashi, in the 11th century, France, Germany, he called Ishmael an armed robber. Rashi lived during the First Crusade, launched in 1096. He was then 56. And he surely knew that the Crusades were a reaction to the abuse Christians in the Holy Land were suffering under Muslim persecution, which I believe is justified by the same Quranic verses that call for oppressing and humiliating Jews. Rashi was well aware of who the Arabs were in his generation, descendants of Ishmael, 
nomadic, desert-dwelling brigands, highwaymen, who preyed upon innocent travelers crossing their deserts and preyed upon fellow nomadic tribesmen. Uh, Arashi surely knew the five centuries of the history of Islam in his generation by that point, including their conquest of Spain, their overrunning of Eretz Yisrael. He also likely was familiar uh, with the, the centuries old, in his time already, Midrash, in which the sons of Ishmael uh, admit to being thieves. Guilt for theft is absent from their psychological makeup. You've heard me say many times Islam is nothing but Jewishness, plagiarized and perverted. Islam is the Jewish religion, stolen and corrupted, lacking even one original religious idea of its own. And here I've just heard the leaders in the two principal factions here, angry at the history of the Jews here, which they psychologically combat by inventing a history of the Palestinian people here. Islam stole Yiddishkeit, and Palestinian nationalism is the theft of Jewish nationalism, a.k.a. Zionism. In a way, the Zionists, while not engaged in material genocide, their authentic history most certainly is an enemy of the Arabs' fantasy life that legitimizes their pre-Islamic culture of hungering for what others possess, like the Holy Land of the Jews and the Jews' holiest sites. Adon tevel mori eli כוכבי מרום ימים אלים. אבי הטוב ליבי ידעת, שוקט נסער נכנם מורד, לב זה לב בין אליך אתה, תפילה יישא תפילת אמת. אבי הטוב ליבי ידעת, שוקט נסער נכנם מורד, לב זה לב בין אליך אתה, תפילה יישא תפילת אמת. בשר נרדף, נסחף, כושל, מכאוב אכזרי עגול ידעתי, ללא מחר, ללא גואל. ביקשתי אור ליבי, העיר לי, אך לא אני זכיתי בו. דרכי אליו שובשה יקיר לי, ומשבשה אני ופה. 
שחייתי בו, דרכי אליו שובשה יקיר לי, ומשבשה ביקשתי רחמי שמיים, אני סילקתי לו וכן, ואז ידעתי אין כאן שניים, בבן האב, באב הבן. אבי הטוב שהנמידה לו, לא דמות לו שם אדון תבן, במקום תפילה בנך שיר בלו. הלל לך, הלל, הלל. אבי הטוב שאין מידה לו, לא דמות לו שם אדון תבל. במקום תפילה בנך שיר בלו, הלל לך. And that was Yossi Azulai doing a number by Shlomo Kahlo, who I'm not familiar with. The Arab Mind is a Wonder to Behold. Uh, it's the title of a book called The Arab Mind by the noted Jewish ethnologist Raphael Patai, who as a balanced scholar also wrote a book called The Jewish Mind, in both cases dissecting habits of mind characteristic of the different cultures. Uh, also, a great read in this regard is by a Lebanese scholar, a woman, Sanya Hamadi. She wrote, Temperament and Character of the Arabs, very instructive. Also worthwhile is The Closed Circle by David Price Jones, and there's more. In a nutshell, the Arabs are kleptomaniacs who experience no guilt for stealing what belongs to others. In their fantasy life, they claim to be descendants of Canaanites and Philistines, when according to their own historians, that simply cannot be true. Both those peoples were removed from history by the Jews like a thousand years before the Arab invasion of the 7th century. Still, they spiritually do mimic the Philistines who stole the Ark of the Covenant, thinking its contents were some kind of a magical instrument or power, like the English legend of the stone and the, the, the sword and the stone, the Philistines made off with the Ark of the Covenant without understanding that inside were words 
concepts, values, etched in stone to be read and lived by. The Philistines left no record of their own language and likely were illiterate when they stole the ark. And in the end, they were forced to return it by Hashem, afflicting them with hemorrhoids. Likewise, in the six years after Muhammad's death, when his followers invaded Eretz Yisrael and stole the Jews' holiest sites, they were thinking once again that these sites had some kind of power that was now theirs. And to this day, they occupy our Temple Mount and the family plot of the Jewish people, the Cave of the Machpelah in Hebron, uh, where uh, the first three couples of the Jewish nation's bodily remains remain interred. The above quotes you heard uh, came from the report in the Jerusalem Post that used to be Zionist that is no longer in tune with the founders of Zionist who believed all of historical Eretz Yisrael rightfully belonged to the Jewish people, including Judea. Origin of the words Jew, Jews, Judaism. They never thought this real estate should be called West Bank and belong to an unheard of a people called Palestinians. The lead sentence in this report began, quote, Palestinians from across the political spectrum condemned European Commission President uh, for saying Israel made the desert bloom, close quote. First of all, there's nothing Palestinian about these people. And no less faulty here is conjuring up a political spectrum from one end to the other when there is none. There are only two groups, uh, the PA, which is the old Fatah terror gang, and Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood gang, which duo uh, recapitulates the first generation of Islam. See, the Arabs are always breaking into two competing groups who fight to the death over power. We just saw last week Sudan go to civil war between rival generals, as in Yemen, the Sunni and the Shiite have been fighting uh, for the umpteenth time since 2014. Uh, and so the split here between Fatah and the Muslim Brotherhood, with the Fatah founders all having grown up in the Muslim Brotherhood. Arafat's father was the head of the Brotherhood in Mandatory Palestine. The ignorant Marxists, with their Oslo ignorance and foolishness, thought there was some abyss separating Hamas, with whom peace was just impossible because they were religious fanatics, hated by atheist Marxists, and Fatah, the secular, socialist, patriotic nation-builders with whom they could do business. I doubt either Rabin or Perez knew of Arafat's upbringing in the Muslim Brotherhood, and the backgrounds of his seven henchmen who created Fatah, all of them having grown up in the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, they chose the 48th chapter, or surah, title in the Quran for their group's name, Fatah. In other words, there is no abyss separating Fatah from Hamas. They are all Muslims hating Jews, and they are locked in a constant power struggle that prevents the emergence of a national identity and struggle. Indeed, a similar history can be found in the 1952 coup d'etat in Egypt that overthrew King Farouk when colonel in the army Kamal Abdel Nasser and colonels Anwar Sadat and other colonels took power. They too had been members of the Muslim Brotherhood in their youth. Uh, they even did time during World War II in a British prison in Egypt for spying for the Nazis. They all entered the army, but after that, uh, after that coup, the Brotherhood thought them not Islamic enough and threatened to revolt 
And ever since, the Brotherhood in Egypt has been public enemy number one of the military dictatorships. In effect, Muslim brothers in a power struggle with former Muslim brothers. This likewise calls to mind the power of the Shiites, whose name, Shia, is a corruption of the Hebrew Si'a, meaning a political faction that broke from the central Muslim community over the issue of the proper method of choosing a new caliph when the old one was no more. The first caliph, after Muhammad's death, was chosen by his inner circle, the Ansar, the companions, who happened, uh, who chose a man who happened to be Muhammad's son-in-law, and thereafter one faction said, a new caliph must be chosen by the current council of elders, because that's the way it was done, that's the tradition, the Sunnah. The other faction said it had to be a member of the family of Muhammad. And ever since, both sides have never been able to settle on a compromise. Ever since, they have been enemies to the death. Which behavior, like Rashi defining Ishmael, is also found in the Torah, in Sefer Bereshis, Genesis, chapter 16, verse 12. His mother, uh, Ishmael's mother, Hagar, is told by the angel that she will have a son, and, quote, he shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against everyone, that's the thief, and everyone's hand against him, and over all his brothers he will dwell, close quote. That's the art scroll translation, but as always, the Hebrew is better. For what in English comes out as over, as in over all his brothers, in Hebrew it means literally in the face of all his brothers. A, a forerunner of today's expression, in your face, Indeed, the sons of Mishael are prevailing forever, killing one another. So there is no Palestinian nation, but two factions at war, Fatah and Hamas, like the Sunni-Shiite split, who have never solved their disagreement over the transfer of power. And after 14 centuries of this conflict, may we not conclude it's a way of life for them. The Oslo peace jerks believe that while the Arabs cannot make peace among themselves, they will make peace with us Jews, and the two ancient nations will live together happily ever after. Thank you. 
And that was Sinai Aviel uh, doing a song whose words are his own, but the tune is a popular one in circulation. And you're listening to the program program on phantomnation.com. Last Friday, head of the Noam party, a member of Knesset Avi Maoz, issued uh, a letter expressing his displeasure at the presence in official government events of the Speaker of the Knesset, Amir Ohana, accompanied by what Ohana calls his husband. Maoz said, I have no problem with Ohana on a personal level, on the contrary. But I am, quote, filled with shame and pain to the depth of my soul when the state of Israel and its official representatives at the official ceremony and remembrance of those killed in the Holocaust and other government events and ceremonies on Remembrance Day and Independence Day, showing the whole world that Knesset Speaker Amir Ohana and his male partner as if it were an accepted and authentic Jewish norm, close quote. Member of Knesset Moses said he voted for Ohana's appointment out of a duty to the coalition, but now regrets that Ohana has turned into a symbol and a model of this phenomenon, meaning homosexuality. He wrote he now regrets not having walked out in protest the first time Ohana and partner were introduced publicly in a government function. He said, though, no more. We will no longer accept being silent about the blasphemy and dishonor of the state of Israel being carried out publicly, close quote. I agree. Ohana was in the GSS, and he served honorably, I believe. He is a patriot. He has no illusions about the Arabs. And he is intelligent enough to serve as speaker, but he should have been, been, t- he should have been told by the coalition, by B.B., that his relationship with his so-called husband must not, must not become a public matter. Problem is, the mental disorder of homosexual acts often includes the exhibitionistic narcissism of having to act it out in public, hence the gay pride parade. This uh, is Netanyahu's fault. 
and that's because he's not a religious Jew. On the contrary, he has spoken out in defense of the LGBT whatever community, keeping up with the fashion of the day among the post-religious in the Judeo-Christian West. I also found it significant that Ohana uh, starred in the reception of U.S. House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy by playing a popular song on the electric guitar from the American rock group The Eagles. In previous Israeli generations, the song chosen to entertain a foreign diplomat would have been an Israeli song sung in Hebrew. So uh, Ohana's choice was really symbolic. Not only is he a rebel against Jewishness in the matter of the most unholy of activities, the use of the organs of reproduction for pleasure only, he seems empty of even post-Jewish Israeli pop culture, such as it is, which is in any case a cheesy imitation of America's degenerate pop culture. When I surf my satellite TV channels and come across MTV, I mostly see vulgar pornography. M.K. Avi Maoz is right to oppose the normalization of sexual perversion here, when one of the most famous religious stories in human history is the Jewish story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. To my mind, a brilliant display of divine brilliance, a society that turns to sexual perversion is a society bound for extinction. Respectable historians of ancient Greece and Rome believe the disappearance of those otherwise great empires and cultures resulted from their descent into sexual deviance, which makes sense, because it is a corruption of the process of keeping a culture alive by producing the next generation. Personally, I believe that all sexual versions are powerful addictions that can literally capture a person. I see significance in the fact that in 1976, the Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, Bruce Jenner, the acme of male athletic prowess at the time, a generation later, finds him dressed and made up as a woman. What happened to him is symbolic of all the craziness in the U.S. today over the LGBT lunacy, the mutilation of little boys and girls, a tsunami of elementary school teachers who think it's good to mess with their psychological identity. Uh, so I could uh, live with Amir Ohana, as uh, Maoz suggests, as House Speaker, if he restricted his addiction to his private life. In any case, why must anyone be told about a person's mental disorder leading to the misuse of his body? It was a much better society when certain behaviors were confined to the closet. And it would be nice if the deviants returned to the closet. If all the LGBT affiliated returned to the closet and kept their mentalist order out of the public square. <laughs>
And that was Mickey Rosenbaum doing a verse from uh, Galatians, Genesis chapter 24, verse 60. Okay, this has been podcast number three in the latest series of six weekly podcasts of Phantom Nation, the uh, title as well of a book of the same name, sponsored by Floridians for Israel Institute at gmail.com. More than one reader of the book has called it the best ever on the war against Israel by Islam, currently camouflaged as a putatively primeval Palestinian people about whom there is nothing Palestinian. For those who appreciate these podcasts and have the heart to help support an old man with some tzedakah by subscribing for three such podcasts a week, each costing the bargain basement price of $1.25, go to www.phantom-nation.com. I'll be back next Wednesday, God willing, for the fourth podcast in this series. Until then, have a good week. I'm Shai Bentakoa.